Well, hi. Good morning. Welcome to the Grove. We are glad that you are here on this beautiful fall morning. I'm glad that it's finally sweater weather. Got a whole closet full of sweaters who have been calling my name. And I'm glad that you have the opportunity to participate in that as well. Um, we have, uh, if you're new here, we have been in this sermon series on the book of Acts for what feels like forever. I know because I was having a conversation with one of you before church this morning. And they're like, oh, we're starting a new sermon series today. And I was like, nope, still in Acts. And he's like, I thought you, I thought you said we were stopping last week. And uh, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like uh, that new uh, Taylor Swift, the, the new version of her album, Red, that All Too Well song. This is like the 10-minute version of All Too Well for the seven of you that understood that music reference. But we're just going to keep going. It's the gift that keeps on giving back. But uh, like Ali mentioned uh, earlier in the service, we're kind of in this season where we're trying to talk more about commitment, not just from a financial perspective, but the things that we want to commit to as a church. And so last week and then today and next week, we're going to talk more about kind of the commitments that we saw the early church make, the things that would be described as hallmarks or characteristics of the things that they committed to, of who they were as a people that I think is important for us to kind of imitate today. Because the book of Acts, it's not just a history lesson. It's not just a here's how the church started, but it's here's what it looks like to actually be the church. And so I think there's so much value in us kind of mining the pages of that story and kind of imitating and modeling those same behaviors as a church today. And so last week we talked about this commitment to kind of like this radical hospitality why it matters that we gather together in church, why it matters that we show up, why it matters that we invest in each other's lives and take care of one another. And so this morning, I want to talk about another commitment that is evident in the early church, and that's this commitment towards wholehearted generosity. And so if you're here this morning and you just heard that, and you're like, oh, we picked the money Sunday to come to church. You did. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And uh, so if you're new, just know that we're not going to ask you to give this morning uh, because we're going to try to like guilt trip you or shame you into participating. And so let me just put this disclaimer out from the beginning. Uh, I think generosity matters because it changes who you become. I think it's just good to be generous, period, full stop. And so if you, after this sermon, are persuaded to become a more generous person, then my job's done. And I think the best place to be generous is the church. Now, if you leave here this morning and you decide to be generous, but you're generous to somewhere else in this church, that's okay. So I want you to know that you're off the hook. I'm letting you off the hook that it's not this kind of guilt trip into you have to be generous to the church or else God's going to smite you down like what happens in the story we're going to look at this morning. <laughs> it was just, this is just what, it just, I just opened the Bible and this is the passage that we turn to. No, I really believe that generosity can change your life. Your own generosity can change your life. And the reason that I think you should be generous to the church is because your generosity can not only change your life, but it can change the lives of other people. So let's dive into our story this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, if not, we're going to put it all up on the screen. Um, we got a lot to read this morning, and so I'm going to go kind of quick. And if you get confused, uh, just see me after church and I'll... I'll explain it to you and tell you how to fill out the memo line on the check. So here we go. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Now, 
Uh, this isn't marriage advice, but there is marriage advice contained in this passage. So if you want to try to identify it, it seems like pretty good advice, men, that if you want to do something, you should probably have the consent of your wife. A man named Ananias, the ladies laugh, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Now here's what they did with it. He sold it with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sell a piece of property. They kind of conspire together that they're going to hold some of it back. They're going to take the rest and they're going to give the rest to church. This is what happens. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? So kind of here's this dynamic. Ananias and his wife, they sell this land, they take it to the church, they give part of it, they keep back part of it, and then kind of Peter calls them on the carpet and says, listen, why, why have you gone about it this way? Now, what I want to point out the issue here is not that they didn't give all the money. That's not the issue in this story. It's not that they only gave part. It's the pretense in which the gift was made. It's all about what we'll see a little bit later. It's all about the heart behind the giving in this particular story. He says, listen, this was, this was your land. It's been your land the whole time, and the proceeds are all yours. Why did, you, why did you try to deceive? Why did you try to lie about how much the land was worth and then say that under false pretenses that you gave the proceeds of this land to the church? So how is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And greater, great fear seized all who heard it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. So let's close in prayer. Heaven... <laughs> no, the story's not over. The story's not over. Here we go. We'll keep going. So Ananias lies, Ananias dies. After an interval, interval of about three hours, the deep, I don't know why that they make some of these details in here because words are scarce. You know, when you have a limited piece of parchment, I don't know why the three-hour time period matters, but it does. So after an interval of about three hours, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. They want to make sure that we know that it was three hours later, but they won't name the price that the land was sold for. I don't, whatever. Here we go. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And the point of all of this is in great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things, as you imagine it would. Okay, this is a crazy story. This is a really crazy story. But I think in this story, uh, there's, this real, there's some really cool truths about the power of wholehearted generosity in our lives. What I love about this story is not only does it speak to these truths, but I think it actually aligns in a pretty profound way with Jesus' teaching on money. 
Now, Jesus teaches on money about 25% of the time. In some way, shape, or form, if you kind of boil down the heart of what he's teaching across all of the Gospels, it's about 25% of the time. And so if you're like, oh, we came on Money Sunday, just imagine if every four Sundays was Money Sunday. There'd be seven of you right in the front, and that would be it. But Jesus apparently thinks it's important, and I think there's a reason why. So there's a couple of thoughts I want to share with us this morning just on why wholehearted generosity matters, why it's worth committing to. So here's the first one. Uh, Wholehearted generosity is really about two ways, two different ways of seeing the world. So this passage that we read, it starts with a really important word. And anytime you see this word in scripture, uh, it tells you exactly what to do. So here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1. But, but, but a man named Ananias. Anytime you see a passage and you see the word but, it should tell you to go back. The way that they've broken out chapters in scripture, they've tried to do it intentionally. This is not how they wrote these stories on these scrolls when they were first recorded. It was just one long form of text. You know, like in the, uh, the Star Wars, you know, like the trailer at the beginning, like long, long ago in a galaxy far away, and it just keeps going and going. This is kind of the way that they wrote on these scrolls. So there's, there's no intentional break here. This is a part of a larger story. So we have to go back and look at what comes before this. And so this is what comes before it in Acts chapter 4. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, like a child, about any of their possessions, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There was those, there were no needy persons among them. Those who owned property or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is, one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, brought the money, and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, sold a piece of property, and they kept back some of the proceeds. What we see in this story is two ways of viewing the world, two ways of seeing how life works, two ways of understanding who you can be in the world. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Luke. He's writing about the power of generosity, what it looks like, how it transforms your life. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But it is not healthy, your body is full of darkness. Now, you might read that and go, I have no idea how that connects to generosity. It's not talking about kind of your physical ability. Back in that first century Jewish context, the understanding was the way that this was talking about the way that you saw the world. If your eye was unhealthy, it didn't mean that you couldn't physically see. It meant that you were missing out on, you couldn't see all that life was. It was this kind of connection to uh, the way that you saw life as full and open-handed and generous. And if your eye was full of darkness, you were miserly. 
you saw life as closed and dark. It would be, in our modern language, the difference between abundance or scarcity mentality. This is what Jesus is describing. Your eye is the light of your body, the way that you see the world, how you view things, the lens through which you view life, either fills your life with light or it fills your life with darkness based on whether or not you have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. I think we can all identify the different types of people in our life based on these two characteristics. We know what it's like to be in relationship with people who have a scarcity mentality. They are always the one who's like, oh, well, let's, and when the bill comes, you know, they want to split it up exactly to the penny, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, come on. Like, like can we just have, like, a life tab? Like, this all just comes out in the wash, but they want to count everything. It's like, well, I had three of the tacos, and you had seven of the tacos, and even though all the tacos came out together, you know, it's, a, it's exhausting to be with some of those people. If you're some of those people, um, I love you. Just maybe don't invite me to lunch. But no, but it doesn't just extend to food and to money. This is in 1 Corinthians, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, when couples at their wedding stand up and you read about kind of the characteristics of love. It talks about love doesn't keep record of wrongdoing. Same concept. It's the same idea. It's about what you look for in the world. Are you always looking out for the ways that people are going to take advantage of you, manipulate you? Is the world kind of cold and dark? Or is life big and open, expansive and beautiful? This is what we're talking about here with this idea of wholehearted generosity. It's not just about how you spend your money. It's about how you spend your time. Are you free to kind of share your, all of your resources in your life? Time, financial resources, emotional resources. Do you have time for people in your life? Are you too busy to stop and pay attention? Are you always on the go, always hurry? Does your calendar have any space for last-minute emergencies or things that come up? Or are you always like, I'm sorry, I can't get to that goodbye, and you're moving on? It's about the way that you see your whole world. Parents, I know this is hard when you've got kids in your home who always want your attention, always need something from you. This can affect the way that you parent. Is your eye full of light? Is it healthy? Or is your eye unhealthy? You see all of the limitations the issues, the problems that arise, or do you see it all as a gift? Do you have a perspective of gratitude and a sense that at any moment things could be fleeting? Like one example that just comes up is we've got a group of kids in the back who are talking and having fun. I think it's awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that there are children in this building who are excited to come to church, who are excited to build relationships to one another. Or I could be like, someone needs to go tell them to be quiet. They don't even know I'm talking about them. <laughs> but that's the point. Not that I've got this all figured out, but it's about how you see the world. It's about how you interact with life. It's just one of the things that I think is important to remember when we talk about generosity. It's not just how much money you give, but it's how you engage in life. Here's the next one. It's... Uh, generosity, wholehearted generosity, as the name would imply, it's a heart condition. This is what you see in the passage that I just read. If you start in chapter 4, verse 33, and you read all the way through chapter 5, verse 11, what you see over and over and over again is it's talking about um, the way that the heart plays a role in this. It says that they were of one heart and mind when they were generous and giving to those in need. 
And then Peter, when he's challenging both Ananias and Sapphira, he, he challenges them on why they've kind of allowed their heart to be deceived. This is what he says in 5.3. How is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but you lied to God. See, ultimately, the way that you see the world, whether you have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality, ultimately affects the condition of your heart. Jesus says it this way in that same passage when he's teaching on generosity. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, what happens next? If you see the world as abundant, open, generous, then what happens? Your whole body is full of light. But if it's not healthy, your body is full of darkness. If you have this scarcity mentality and you're always counting the cost of everything, it's going to impact your heart, which is like we talked about a second ago. It spills over into every facet of your life. This was a lesson that I had to learn the hard way, not because I didn't want to be generous, but because I didn't understand the impact of this truth, kind of the reality of this principle in my own life. Early, early, early in my ministry career, I was on staff at Highland Park Methodist, and I, had, I was in youth ministry at the time, and one day I get a call to go to the senior minister's office, Paul Rasmussen, and he, we were having a conversation, and, he's, and I, we were kind of talking about spiritual formation and like ways that I'm growing. I told him I was just struggling, and I wasn't finding some of the traction that I wanted to in my, in my own faith journey. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Just personally, he said, but are you giving? Are you giving to the church? He said, I can't require that you give, but as somebody who cares about your spiritual development and growth, are you giving to the church? I said, well, you know, sometimes, like, you know, if I've got cash on me that day and, you know, if it just happens, this, you know, there's not a credit card swiper, and so it's hard when the basket comes around. And, I mean, you know, the way that my checking and savings accounts works, all my money's in my savings accounts, so i got to transfer it over. And he was like, it's like, it's real simple. It's real simple. Start giving and see what happens. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. And, but I was like, all right, let me try so I set up, you know, kind of the automated giving. And what ended up happening and what continues to happen is that act of generosity, not in some dramatic, you know, like clouds part, sunshine, you know, comes through. But that act of generosity has changed my life. And the way that it's changed my life is it's changed my relationship with money. When you don't ever feel like you have enough, you always hold on to it. And when you're unwilling to let go any of it, you realize that there's never enough. You have this scarcity mentality, and it again affects the way that you view the world. It affects the way that you interact with people, and you're always trying to find ways and scheme ways that you can get more, earn more, save more, make more, invest more, spend, you know, just more, 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 because there's never enough. And the reason that there's never enough is ultimately, and it's ultimately the reason that it's a condition of the heart, it's because it's about do you trust God. Not that, like, mysteriously, miraculously, food's going to show up on your doorstep. But, like, do you, do you trust God? Or do you trust God enough to let go of what you have? To trust God to use it in the world? Do you trust God enough to let go of some of your resources? You know, I'm not asking all of you to sell your homes and, you know, live in a commune together. And, you know, pile, I'm not, that's not what we're talking about, but it's, if you can't let go of anything, then it speaks to the condition of your heart and it speaks ultimately to your trust in God. This is where Jesus goes with this teaching in the gospel. Same with the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about, 
you know, it, it spills over from generosity into this idea of trust. It's like God takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. How much more will he take care of you? It's all connected. It's not just a separate standalone issue of, well, are you, are you giving or not? It's a bigger heart condition. Do you trust God? Do you trust him enough to demonstrate your generosity, to let go? And again, my caveat this morning, it doesn't have to be to the church. I think the church is the best place, but it doesn't have to be to the church. I know many of you are generous with nonprofits in the area or causes around the world. I think that's awesome. I have those same things in my life in addition to what I give to the church because I recognize that there's a lot of need that needs to be covered and a lot of people who are better equipped to cover it than the local church is. But again, it's a heart condition. And then the last one, last one is it's really kind of talking about how uh, generosity starts with how you see, moves into the status, the condition of your heart, and then how it spills out and radiates into other people around you. This is what we see in Acts chapter 4 when it's talking about the way that we are supposed to live. This is what it says. It says, the community of believers was one in heart and mind. There's that heart thing again. They continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. An abundance of grace, this is just another way to describe the movement, the work, the activity of the Holy Spirit, the way that God was physically at work in this community, in this church, in this group of believers, based on their commitment to wholehearted generosity. And what we see in other accounts and acts about kind of the way that this group of people lived and interact with one another is the way that it transformed the world. In kind of our kind of, kind of anchor passage in Acts 2, it talks about, and the Lord added daily those who were being saved. And it's not just this kind of, kind of vertical salvation, but it's this healing and wholeness that occurs in people's life. It's, it's the way that your generosity interior manifests in the world and in your relationships from an exterior standpoint. I had this encounter about two years ago. I was at the Walmart just down the street, and I was walking in, and um, I don't know why I do this, but when I go to the store, I try to, like, go incognito. And I usually have, like, a hoodie on or a baseball cap on, and COVID is good because you could have the mask, and then, like, I have, like, my AirPods in. It's just like I just want to, like, go get my stuff, walk out, and go to my car. Not that anybody recognizes me or like, like stops me, but I just want to move in. Wanna, I just don't want to interact with anybody. It's like I'm, it's this weird kind of like um, introverted thing I do sometimes. But I was kind of on my way across the parking lot, and I kind of out of my peripheral field of vision, I see someone approaching me, and it's this young guy. He's in high school, and he's you've you've had these encounters, and he's got the page laminated that he's walking up holding to you and he you know you know something there's an ask coming it's not just hey it's, you look good today I like the that fit you got going on it's never that it's always like I, I'd like to ask for something so he walks up and you know he's doing his best to kind of present the sales pitch and he's talking about his AAU basketball team and they're trying to raise money you know for some uniforms because of this tournament that they want to go to in Florida and what happens when I hear these stories even as a pastor, I'm like, yeah, right. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. How, how am I going to verify this? Show me some video clips of your basketball team. Like, let me see a photo of the team. Like, I want to, like, check the accuracy and the validity of the request because I'm not against generosity. I just want to make sure it makes a difference. Like, you know, it's ROI. I care about, you know, I want to measure it. And he was like, you know, I just, and in that moment, I was like, you know what? How, what would it look like just to, like, surprise him? What would be the most wholehearted gift that I could give him in this moment? And it wasn't like this long thought process. It was just kind of like this spark, this instantaneous moment. And I was like, how much, do you, how much do you need? He's like, well, any gift helps. I go, no, what's the number that means that you don't have to be out here anymore? What's the number? Like, what's it going to take so that your team has, what, how do you reach your milestone? He said, about 80 bucks. And it took him a second to, to say the number, about 80 bucks. So I pulled out my wallet, and I handed him a $100 bill. And the light that spread across his face was better than anything I could have spent that $100 on. Not only did he light up, he goes skipping off across the parking lot, holding the $100 bill in the, I kid you not, $100 bill in the air, and he starts hollering, and I don't realize what he's doing, but he's signaling to all of his other friends who were out in other parts of the parking lot that he just got $100. One friend runs up to him, and he's like, where'd you get that? And he points right at me, <laughs> him! And I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. And so the kid comes up to me, and I'm like, oh, no. It's like when you're, like, in the mall, and you hold the door open for somebody, and you're like, now I'm going to be here for the next hour as everybody else comes in. But this kid, so now the second kid comes up. And he's like, you know, he just kind of looks. He doesn't even know what to say because he doesn't know how to ask for what the other person asked for. I said, you want $100 too, don't you? And he says, yeah. I said, all right, here you go. And I gave him another $100 bill. Now, I don't have lots of these stories, so next year you're going to hear it <laughs> again. But it's, it illustrates the point. The way that you see the world, it really does impact the state of your heart the condition of your heart, which can't help but spill out into the ways that you interact with other people in the world. This is why it matters so much that as a church, we are wholeheartedly generous. And I have added that wholehearted part in there for a reason, because this isn't just kind of like this repeated request for more and more and more money. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Next Sunday, we have Commitment Sunday. I know some of you will be traveling already for Thanksgiving, but there's still ways that you can participate. You can mail it in. You can bring it in following Sundays. But for those of you who will be here next Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity where we get to come forward to the church. There are these commitment cards that we will either mail out or hand you next Sunday morning. And as you bring those down, what I hope that you will have done in advance is to just pray. Pray, say, God, what is... What does wholehearted generosity look like for me and my family? For me, personally, it's 10%. Just off the top, that's what I give to the church. I don't think a lot about it uh, in the sense of like deliberating what number. It's just 10%. Why? It's in, the, it's, in, it's in the Bible. It doesn't mean that like you're bad if you don't give 10%. I have found for me personally that 10% seems to be proven through time is the magic percentage that hurts enough that it actually forces you to trust God.
Now, for some of you, 10% is impossible. It feels like the hardest ask ever. And so that's why I encourage us, there is a wholehearted number. There's a wholehearted percentage. There's a wholehearted amount. Not just with your financial resources, but what does this look like with time? What does this look like with your presence, with your availability? I know what this Christian life looks like, and it requires sacrifice. It requires commitment. But it will totally transform your life. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus kind of says that adage that we have kind of taken in life, and it says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That word blessed, translated in its ancient Greek, can really be translated the happiest life, the richest life, the fullest life, is one marked by generosity, by giving, not receiving. And it's totally true. Social scientists have come along and now thankfully affirmed all of the things that Scripture has said to be true for thousands of years. All of the social studies say it. People who are generous, who live in, with this wholehearted generosity, are happier, healthier, and more fulfilled. And I think if anywhere should be that, it should be the church. It should be us. And so in all of the ways that generosity manifests in your life, may we be a people who are wholeheartedly generous. Let me pray for our time this morning. God, we love you. We recognize that the resources that we have, we are just temporary stewards of. They have all come from you. It's not because of how good or how smart we are, because you've given those, those abilities as well. So God, let us be wise and wholeheartedly generous stewards of what you've given to us first. Let us step up, commit, and watch the ways that you use generosity to impact the world. pray this in your name. Amen. As the band comes forward, uh, we'll ask the ushers to come forward as well, and we'll take up our morning's tithe and offering. And I don't always do a good jo job as your pastor of celebrating the ways that you already do this. It's a lot easier to focus on ways we can keep going. I just have that bias in my own life. Uh, but over the last, I don't know, month and a half, this church collectively has given over $50,000 to organizations and agencies in the area. Men and Nehemiah, the birthday party project, and literally two days ago we sent a check for $10,000 uh, to a homeless agency to make sure that they could buy toys for Christmas. That's because of your generosity that we're able to do that. It's because of the ways that you are already modeling this in your own life that we're able to let that light shine in the world. So thank you.